0: I want to talk about tracked properties. I saw Cause, that because it's top of mind. We were just talking about about them with uh, Tom at the meetup, and um, yeah, he was showing them off. I also just watched Tom's uh, Ember Fest keynote. Oh, nice! Which is pretty cool. Um, it uh, he goes over Glimmer components and shows all the new APIs that are.
1: The goal is to have them ready for Octane and Marsha Ember Conf. Can you, can you quickly explain the difference between angle brackets and Glimmer components? <clears throat>
0: Good question.
1: I don't know if I can,
0: but I think, um, I think today, if you install a new app and you use angle brackets to invoke, you're still getting an Ember component. I, I really
1: don't know. I'd have to check. I think that's right. I think, I think the angle brackets transpile? Yeah. To 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 Curly's. So you still have a root. Yeah,
0: it's true because you still have a a root div with an Ember ID. Whereas like if you watch Tom's
1: thing, um, there's no root div. Uh, There's no Ember ID. I I didn't know that. Interesting. Pretty cool. And so also tracked is something that's part of the glimmer component, not part of angle brackets. Right.
0: Right now. Correct.
1: Um, There's an RFC
0: for adding tracked properties to Ember, I believe. So I think the angle brackets, the at args, splat attributes, tracked are ways of incrementally bringing the Glimmer component model into Ember. Cool. Which is pretty cool they're doing it like that, um, because we're using angle brackets in some of our demos and code bases and stuff.
1: Even though we, you know, we're not using Glimmer. I mean, I've never used Glimmer before, really. Yeah, I know. I know Robert made this. It's like Sparkle components, and it's something that uses a component manager, which is an interface in Ember that lets you define your own components. I think for this very reason. So they could slowly start to introduce um, these glimmer components or these glimmer style components without, you know, a massive refactor. Right. So
0: don't mind me. I'm just making my tea
1: over here. Nice.
0: Tea you know, tea is growing on me. I'm a real big coffee guy, but once you have your third or fourth cup of coffee by the day, by three o'clock, it does it loses a little bit of its I wake up so excited for my first cup of coffee. I sometimes go to bed dreaming about waking up for my first cup of coffee. But
1: your body only it hits a saturation point. You don't care about this at all. This is like the worst pitch for tea ever. Yeah. Tea. Tea, when you're burnt out on coffee. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> tea, the crappy alternative when you can't handle any more coffee. So, um, yeah, rationalizing the primitives, component managers, all that stuff. So what I was bike shedding or wanting to bike shit over and i have to admit i'm a bad community member when it comes to reading rfcs and keeping up to date with this stuff i don't honestly understand how people do it because for me it just takes me a long time maybe maybe i'm dumb i don't know but when i read through this stuff and all the threads that are going on and people talking about all the hypotheticals and the branching and stuff and you open this github issue and it's just crazy also the rfc changes so it's just personally, i find it i actually subscribe to the rfc's repo which has been a good way for me to know when a new RFC opens up because I get a notification, in my email, but then I end up muting like, you know, eight tenths of them, let's say 80% of them, because they're just things that I trust people. And I don't really think I'm going to have something useful to say, but then sometimes like for big ones, I'll want to read it and, and comment or whatever. By the way, I do, I do that as
1: well. And that is, I think that's one of the, the best ways to stay up to date with Ember. RFCs repo. Yeah. You just get email notifications. You, I, I mute 90. I probably mute 100%, but at least I know, like, oh, yeah, there's an RFC for that if I ever need to, right. to go back. What about your own RFCs? My own RFCs? Do oh, you those, mute them?
0: Those, are, yeah, instant mute. Archive rule to go directly <laughs> to the trash. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it, so we were talking about this at the Ember Meetup last week, and, um, yeah, the track property stuff obviously is, like, a one of the biggest changes to the programming model. It's one of the biggest changes to the programming model because today you create a new component and let's say you say like uh name colon null because it's like there's no it's like that's your way of saying that there's a property and then maybe on did receive adders or something or whatever you can just say like this dot set name sam and this dot set is an ember api that tells the rest of the framework it's time to update this thing but um yeah from your perspective as a programmer that's how you update things that's how you push updates. And so the switch with tracked is you, oh, I'm almost thinking about this now after having discussed this a little bit in discord today, you flip it. So instead of having an API for setting and then, um, not having to do anything special to the properties, we actually decorate the properties that are going to change, and then we don't have to do anything special on the set. So we don't have to call this that set anymore. Once you mark it, once you decorate it, you don't have to call this set. You just get to update it as you would any JavaScript um, object.
1: Yeah. So would you would you say it's like it goes from like a push model to where like you're you're pushing things out with set to like a pull model where you mark something with tracked and then when that thing changes, you're basically going to know it changes and you need to update your template.
0: I guess there's two questions here, which is like one, (coughs) what's the programming model for the programmer? Like how do I think about this? And like, why am I using this dot set here versus why am I just using this dot foo equals bar here? So there is some leakage there in the sense that like, yeah, I have two, way to, two ways to update data. And when I do this dot set, it's because it's an Ember property. And I know it needs to interact with other other Ember objects in the system and maybe eventually make its way into a template. Um, whether the Ember engine uh, and Ember internals are pulling or like pushing, I think it's like, you don't really think about that as a programmer. And then the track thing is like, um, same kind of thing where you can just use, you know, vanilla JS, but then once this thing is going to be needing to affect changes elsewhere, or maybe possibly have a side effect to my template and cause it to re-render, then I need to mark it as tracked. So I'm interested in this because, um, again, I just don't know a lot of the internals. I haven't worked on this stuff, but like when I first heard about tracked, I was kind of like, it seems a little strange, the wording, it seems like computed makes sense. Like you're writing a computed property and it has dependent keys. All that's from the perspective of the programmer. And I'm writing something that depends on these things. That all makes sense. I understand why Tract exists. And I think it's a, it's a good improvement in a lot of ways. Tract gets rid of the, the need to specify dependent keys on computed properties. You just have to mark it as Tract. And Ember is able to find out what the dependent keys are for you, which is awesome. And we don't have to call this set anymore. So it's an improvement of the programming model for sure. My question is what the name tracked to me seems like it's, and I, I want to read through the entire RFC, all the back and forth. So I really understand because I really don't want to say something in the RFC comments before reading everything. Cause I'm sure there was lots of bike shedding over the names, but it seems like the word tracked is really um, spilling out the implementation details as opposed to being focused on the programmer model, because. It's really saying that this is a property that the
1: Ember templating layer needs to track in order to re-render. So, what would, you would want something like at this thing changes at changes so at the, mutable. So the question
0: is like why? So the question is like as a programmer, I create a new object or a, a component, and it's pretty cool. These things work on objects too. So you have like an ES6 class called Person that doesn't extend anything, and you can add tracked to it. That's awesome. It's really awesome. So it's like, instead of having to extend ember.object, you just can create ES classes and decorate properties with tracked, which is awesome. Like you don't have to extend, you don't have, you don't have like single inheritance. You can just, yeah, it's like almost like including a module in Ruby, right? So again, the question is like, I'm working on this thing. I have these properties da. da, da I'm typing. I look at my template. It works the first time. Then I add a little button that changes counter. And it changes counter, and I look at my template, and it's not working. And it's like, oh, wait, why not? What do I need to do here? And then the answer is you have to add tracked. But, again, it's like as a programmer, I'm not saying that this thing is – it's like
1: – You're not saying you're tracking this thing. Exactly. With, exactly. Com- with computed, you're saying, like, I'm
0: computing this thing. And it depends on these other things of mine. Whereas this is like, oh, right, Ember needs to know about this, so yeah. I'm going to say it's tracked. So I, I, I also grabbed these two quotes
1: Go ahead. I I was thinking, like, I know this word has baggage, but like, it's almost like observable. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to make this thing observable in the rest of my system. Well, what you're
0: really saying, well, here, let me read you. So, this is from Tom's Ember Camp talk when he's introducing this. He says, So, here he's kind of going over this full name, first name, last name, or we have a first name thing. And then it says, Here we use the track decorator to tell Ember that we're expecting this first name property might change. So, notice that he didn't, if you were describing this to someone, You wouldn't say, now we're going to use a track property because uh, we're tracking it. We're not tracking it. Ember is tracking it. At maybe changes. At maybe changes, really. Then we have this other one from the RFC, which was a comment. I think it was Tom as well. He said, in general, the idea is that mutable properties should be marked as tracked and immutable properties should not. So so I I have a feeling you're about to say we should have at mutable and at immutable. I haven't thought about this yet um, enough to know and, and use my thesaurus enough. I don't think we need at immutable because that's a default, okay, but, at, but mutable. at mutable, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this thing is like a volatile mutable property. It changes over time. That's the whole point of like the state over time thing. That's the whole point of like why we even need to think about this in Ember versus why we don't think about this in something like Rails. Right. I'm
1: having a bad, bad reaction to that word because there's so many things in JavaScript that, that are, are mutable. And just because you don't, like the variable is mutable even without this at mutable Right, JavaScript objects created.
0: have a, already a notion of like being fr- frozen, um, and not um, when you object dot freeze an object, you're making it not. There's a property called um shoot. I was just using this. You have like properties are like enumerable, and I can't remember, but. It's basically this idea. Um, is it like a symbol on the object that doesn't? <laughs> it's like, you know how you like do for of and a key is an yeah. object, and it's like if they're enumerable, it does it. But it's you like can an like, iterator. You can like define a property. You can like object.define property Sam, first name, and then you can make it like not enumerable, and you can make it not something that makes it not able to be changed. I see. Anyway, so there is definitely a notion of mutability already. And um, of course, if you had an object that wasn't tracked being tracked, um, you could change it, and so in that sense, it's mutable. It's not immutable in the same sense of a true immutable like library or language, but it is true. Yeah. What are you saying? You're saying that this thing is going to change over time,
1: it like propagates through the system. Yeah. It's like maybe we really we, we need a we need a thesaurus. Yeah. And, and a a room for storing bikes. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So that's what I'm gonna I'm
0: gonna I have that on my to do list to pop up on Thursday or Friday once I finish my work for the week. And I want to read through that and look at the, the source because I think I think it's important because it does, Tom is going through, it does a great job in the talk of saying like um, the dependent keys in a computer property are a concession that we had to make. He doesn't say this, this is my words, but it's true. It's a concession we had to make as part of the API design. It's worth. It was a trade-off, but it was, it was worth it, right? We opted into that design to make it so that Computer properties were fast. They could be a core part of the programming model, but the fact that you have to specify the dependent keys twice, and Tom says this in talk, he's like, this is not helping the expressiveness of this code. Um, This is just you telling Ember enough to know for it to do its job. But what if it could do it automatically here? And then he goes into the track stuff, and the track stuff is definitely an improvement, but it also needs to be framed in that way where it's like, I'm I'm marking this as something that can change over time. And yes, Ember uses that, but it's also you know it's also like can be expressed in a way that makes the code clear and i think tracked is confusing tracked is like oh the template needs to track this as opposed to like what i'm actually saying which is i'm declaring that this thing can change over time you know now
1: is the best time to do this because this is from the looks of it this is an api that's going to be that's going to live for a very long time yes so so it's going to be a lot easier to get it right now than yes next year
0: right exactly so i definitely want to do that but yeah that's just something i wanted to chat about because it was kind of top of mind and um yeah curious to hear other people's thoughts about that too we um you were going to make a video on four
1: or four pages yeah (laughs) how'd that go uh swing and a miss (laughs) i've Um, been there (laughs) we have i can just i kind of realized why this was so hard so so i was doing some debugging on the site last week and uh we have a 404 route at the very bottom of our route definitions and so the idea here is like a catch-all yeah it's a catch-all so the route when you when ember starts you know recognizing url it's just going to go through all those routes in order and it's going to grab the first one that matches and if you get to the very bottom of our router and nothing's been matched we have this thing that's like this dot this.route uh, 404 and it has a wildcard url so it literally catches anything mm-hmm. um And that works great when the route can't be recognized. So if you go to like emmermap.com slash ASDF, Mm -hmm. then you get this, the 404, the the, the catch-all catches it. I noticed that there's routes that uh, can be recognized, but they still 404. So an example is like we have uh, our video pages. You go to like emmermap.com, topics, some topic, slash, you know, this video doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's like a slug. We're using an identifier or it could be a number, let's say, but yeah. yeah. But the route recognizer can recognize this. Mm-hmm. So we'll load that route. Um, and then you're in a situation here where it's like, I need a way to fetch some data or load some data from the local store and say that, like, hey, this the I don't have data. This thing is null. Send me to a 404 page. So like my first attempt was to use transition to. It's just kind of like how we change the route with Ember. There's like an a, a problem here where that changes the URL as well. Mm-hmm. So you end up um, going to a video that can't be found, but then the URL changes to like slash four hundred four. Mm-hmm. That's that's not the best UX. You want the original URL to stay.
0: Also, if you were to fast boot this page, you get a redirect. Yeah, and you want you want the client to know that this route they visited is a four hundred four. It
1: doesn't exist on yep. the site. Yep. So. Um, found this API intermediate transition to mm-hmm. and this is a way how like ember renders its loading templates and its error templates. So this is a way you can render a new template without updating the URL. Mm. That's like the whole point of this API and it's public API public API but it's it's different than the out other router transition uh, methods and that it's synchronous. So if you try to run it in in a like after model or redirect hook, does the redirect but the, it's it's because it's synchronous and your route has like no async code ember still tries to render your original template and, the, and therefore you're like rendering your template with a null model mm. um so you get some errors mm-hmm. just just you know hilarity ensues and yeah, and yeah you get yeah. a bunch of errors so I, I was like digging around the code and and i figured like okay so like ember will block routing when it one of the hooks returns a promise so if i return a promise and then inside that promise i do this intermediate transition to and then resolve i don't even have to resolve because intermediate transition to updates the router and you're just in this new route state and the old route state's ignored but but because it returned a promise you don't start rendering the template Mm. the the original uh url template that that couldn't be found so this works but this is like, I was uncomfortable with making a video. It felt like hacky. And it's like the dangling pro- promise
0: never gets resolved ever. You you could. Whether you, you were to click a link back home or something.
1: Whether you resolve the promise or not doesn't matter. Okay. Because you're in a route and then you transition to another route. I so see. Ember just has completely oh, okay, moved by the time it
0: The not found template, it, that thing is gone. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, but it, it, it felt hacky. Yeah. I couldn't.
1: I'm like explaining this now, but I'd, I'd love for someone to be like, yes, that's correct. Or no, that's wrong. Right. Like it's, it's very hard to follow the, the source code and figure out like, this is exactly why this thing is happening. Right. Also just returning like an empty promise that never mm-hmm. resolves is just, it's, it's like a gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then I figured too, there's even like another state here. So I'm talking about like you have a route and you know, that you can't find a model to render this so it's like very clear like i, I don't have a model mm-hmm. when i like poke in my local data store i can't find anything that i can use on this route. there's also another state where it's i fetch something from my back end and the back end 404s which causes ember data to throw an exception so this is not i don't have a model this is my route through an exception
0: wait what's i don't have a model i don't have a model is like uh
1: say you store all your data locally yeah yeah so yeah. there's no data fetching
0: i see you're just saying the not found is dependent on the re- ajax request where sometimes it might not be
1: right yeah. so 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 if if you store your data locally you can like look for it and you get back nothing get right. back an empty array you or you need to be able to transition the thing into a not found state right but then also there's like this other layer that's that's yeah what do we do if if your model hook throws an exception because right. ember data encountered a 404 right and now it's it's you can't do like if four hundred four in the route hook like the route through an exception. So mm-hmm. Now you go into like this error sub state. So there's all these like four hundred four is a lot different than than your wildcard one wildcard thing. Yeah, or like your server rendered application where it's just like, hey, I don't know how to handle this request. Yeah, there's like all these different ways a four hundred four yeah. can happen.
0: I was trying to remember, did I read this? Because we were talking about this or a tweet or something where someone was like, oh, we're still trying to like, why are we still trying to use these concepts from like server render request response things like 404s when we are on like a client? It might have been in response to one of your discourse posts, but it's like we're in a client app and like if you click a button in it, 404s you don't need to transition to a 404 four route and render not found. Like y- you have more insight into what's happening. And so you can just handle it right there or something like that. Did you, w- did we talk
1: about that? I, I don't think so. Okay, that's yeah, what from remember, something. but um, I, I don't know. Like, no, we should still honor HTTP. If the browser makes a request to slash videos slash this video doesn't exist. You, you,
0: right. You could show a modal window or something that's like you're trying to access something that doesn't exist, like in the context of the video
1: page. But but it's still a 404. Like right, you still right, want right. to there's tons of tons of infrastructure built up around the assumptions t- of http yeah. yeah so to 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 just throw that all away and say you know i, I think it's different too once the app is already loaded yeah you do have client side state you right. know, yeah status status codes there's there's so much like hidden hidden layers on the web with like the fast proxies stuff too also awesome. yes yeah, server side rendering like and,
0: as soon as you fast as soon as you fast boot and you don't honor those then you're yeah you're in a weird spot
1: yeah so this i i kind of like i'm going to merge the code into Ember map because it improves ember map yeah improves ember map that does the the promise with the intermediate transition to it works and from when i kind of follow the code through the router it makes sense um but it's just yeah i'm just not number one not comfortable making a video but number two just like wow this is way harder yeah This is way, there's like three ways in a a client-side app in 404.
0: Yeah. This also led us to discuss, we happened to pull up Laravel's website and just to see how they, what their API is. And we found like a whole dedicated page for handling
1: 404s. Yeah. There was like a um, part of their guides that was like, this is how you do not founds. There's an API for it. It's very clear. Like you make a not found template. You know, something right. ends up not being found. That thing gets rendered. Right. Um, so it was very. What I'm what I'm battling is like, oh, I, let me think about all the ways that my app can 404, and then how to, based on what state I'm in, how to transition to those states. Where where Laravel is more like, no, you can encounter 404, we'll take care of that for you. They have the higher level API. Yeah. and,
0: and Rails has something similar, I think
1: yeah with rails i was like looking at some some old rails apps like there's two strategies one is you have like nginx say like a lot of folks i don't know if this is so popular now but but back in the day would would put nginx in front of uh, rails and if rails ever responded with like a 400 404 Nginx would intercept that and then render like your error template that's checked into your. So Rails even
0: set. if you went to a route that was recognized by Rails, if it then then does like a um, user.find100 and it doesn't exist, it'll 404.
1: And it'll then the 404. Yeah, because like Rails could throw um, like a not found exception. You I can see. like catch that and say render 404 and then that starts going out. Nginx is in front and grabs that and like renders a 404 template. Also, too, Rails makes it easy to render. 404 templates you can do like, like in the re- middle of some control flow yeah exactly you can do render you know error templates slash 404 mm-hmm. and status not found mm-hmm. um so mm-hmm. so yeah this is yes i i think that rails i think the laravel one was like the nicest like yeah like, wow they're really thinking of me right rails was not at that level but it was still like yeah this is something i can solve and then the the client side app the ember version was just like you're on your own. Yeah. There's a lot too yeah. much, too much here from like, yeah. Thinking, thinking about all the states you can be in, that can cause a four or four.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting to just look at those because, um, I think there is this class of concerns that app developers deal with every day that is a layer above, you know, stuff like the programming model, stuff like computer properties and tracked. Um, you know, like form validations is another thing that comes to mind. Um,
1: yeah, these are like, oh, that's easy. Just do this right. type problems. But the reality is like these are problems that everyone faces and they're they're hard to solve on your own. They often get overlooked.
0: And you just don't want to have to solve. It. That's part yeah. of why you use an opinionated framework like Ember. Yes. Um, yeah, you just want to see a 404 page in
1: the, yep. the guides. I was, I was thinking like, it's like, could we make an add-on? Like, what if we just, could we make an add-on that just patched a bunch of Ember internals to make this thing doable? Like, it opened up you the route file. You just import file. a
0: function that says, like, go, no, no.
1: like, use a render, render 404. Render 404. Like, opened up the route file. It added that catch-all to right. the very bottom of the file. So you never have to deal with that. Right. It it gives you all your routes, um, a method that's like this dot show 404. Right. It, it does things like set the fast set the, statu- the uh, status on fast boot yeah mm-hmm. status code on fast boot mm-hmm. so you actually get a proper 404 yep um, cool just those ergonomic things I, I i like when i was poking around at this i, I felt like and i'm like going to be like monkey patching a lot of stuff and it felt kind of uncomfortable so i was like yeah i think it at this layer just like expose at this point just like expose all these the waves. weird api ways we're doing it right now and just get consensus around wh- how people are doing this.
0: Yeah, you know, yes. um, because both transition to and replace with were not the right solution. Well, they update the URL, right? So and an intermediate transition to is like something no one. I mean, when's the last time you heard someone using that?
1: Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah, that doesn't show up. Is it, it is, even it, in the guides? I mean, yeah, it's in the API. No, docs. it's not. It's in. I think it might be in the guides. It's in the API docs. It's public API. I mean, explains. It doesn't explain it in the context of a 404, but explains it. In the context of a loading state and then you can kind of use your imagination be like oh yeah when i render a loading template my thing doesn't my url doesn't change to like slash post slash loading Mm. and then back to slash post right so there there is ember has some mechanism for rendering a new different templates on the same url yes yeah Yeah. and it's intermediate transition too yeah oh there's a support doggy we should get a dog for the office support dog yeah so I can support. cry, cry about four oh four. to my support dog. Yeah,
0: try to make a video it doesn't work out and you just hold the dog and just pet it and you just put, post a video and every map that's like 10 minutes of me just like crying into a dog and petting it.
1: Yeah, and our, our all of a sudden our views like
0: quadruple. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, we're a data-driven firm, you know. <laughs> um, these things really help us out. So that's interesting. I'd like to hear some resolve about that. Um, something else we wanted to talk about Um we have our email course that we put out and, you know, start getting some feedback about that. And we had a good conversation in the Ember map Slack with, um, code igniter.
1: Was yeah, it? Frank.
0: Yeah. yeah. Frank. Yeah. Frank. And, um, it was about our like smart components lesson where you render a tweet card and you do at tweet equals tweet. And it's like, we've talked about this in a bunch of our videos and, and, and blog posts and stuff. Um, sometimes when you have too many component arguments, it's because it shouldn't be a dumb component; it should be a smart component, and it's like domain specific. We have a, we have a
1: series, our component side effect series, right?
0: Yep. Right. And um, yeah, it was interesting because I think he's just he's just bought he's just lived by the constraint that routes do like the data mutation, and if like a route model hook fetches data, it owns the data. And so all the actions that mutate the data live at that route. And he's just like given that as a hard constraint for all of his Ember apps. And he was talking about liking that. And he was kind of like, yeah, devil's advocate against what we yeah. were saying, which is like making a user form or a tweet card
1: smart. Also in like the early days of Ember, it was easier to put all your actions on the controller on the route. And because oh. there was no like, View, I mean, there was a view hierarchy, but I don't think I really ever thought of it. It was just things would directly talk, have access to the controller. So if like you had a view and that rendered a view and that rendered a view, they would all share the same controller property. Right. The
0: context of this context was implicit
1: and it was yep. all the controller. So, so you could easily get from third view right up to the controller. Right. And so there was like this nice pattern of, of you render, you render a template, you have an action that action calls something on the controller that controller like does some mutation on the model, mm-hmm. and that model flows back down to the template. So you can imagine like this giant data mutation responsive circle. Right. Um, but now that we have components, you you lose that context, so it's a lot harder when you're three components in prop drilling. About. Basically, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's
0: I think one way to think about this problem is you start out with an app. You have the home controller, the home template, the home route the route fetches the data controller maybe adds a computed property and then the template starts, um, renders it out. And then you add stuff to the template over time, maybe an action or two on the controller. That's what we would do. Like if you press something, you would just use the controller and make an action to it. And, um, especially if it was client side and it didn't change the URL, or it didn't refresh the model or anything like that. Um, and, um, now your template is no longer 30 lines. It is, you know, 300 line, 200 lines, and so you want a mechanism to break up that template. Like it gets big, and you just want to break it up. And like you said, we used to have views, which is like I have this code, and I'm just drawing this box around it and putting it into a new file because it's just helping me to organize this. But fundamentally, there's nothing changing by the architecture. Like the data is still flowing down, and they're doing an action, right? And when we have components and now you have to pass everything explicitly, it feels like a bigger step because you draw a box around this and you want to extract it, but now you have a new contract. You have to define a contract for that component. One of the things we've seen people get into trouble with is, especially when components first came around, was like, um, oh, components are isolated and made for reusable widgets. But you're not drawing this box around the part of your home template to make it reusable. You're literally just doing it because your template is like 250
1: lines of code. Yeah. And this is this is less true with things that are like color pickers and date pickers that are reusable, but they there's definitely a whole class of components It's like my my widget editing component and my widget viewer component. Like those things are made for your application. Right. They're not made to be shared. Right. Like date pickers made to be shared.
0: Right. And you wouldn't make you would make date picker or color picker after having seen the same code in three times, and say, "I'm going to put this in a component." But the the thing I'm describing, which is just like, this is a complex route, and I just need to, I just need help. I need to make, make this a little more sane to work with. That's all it is. Mm-hmm. You're not saying I need to reuse this, and I see duplications. Not nothing with with that. But you use components to break it up because that's a primitive that we have. Um, so
1: why not just just. Why not use like partials to break it up?
0: Yeah, or views, right? I mean, so this is like you could imagine views still being around in the framework because they um, fill this role. And now you have a very clear thing like, is this reusable? It's a component and you have to, because you have to define an interface now, whereas view is basically a partial and it inherits its, its, um, interfa- its, its interface's boundary from its context. The problem with views back in the day when we used them was just that it was confusing because you now have a view three or four or five layers down and it's doing like this dot first name and you're like what is this again and you have to look at everything so today we will use components there are no more views basically and we use components and even though you have to redefine that interface like my model hook already said i return a user and now i'm passing it into a component that takes a user and another component that takes a user but that's that's the explicitness is worth it because now I can just if I'm working on maybe there's all the crud parts of this in this route and I'm just working on the new I just know that my component takes a user and so if I need to do something that has a user so that's fine
1: yeah and and your component has its own little sandbox so so your component takes some stuff and it's not gonna all of a sudden start mutating data on another component right so, so that's
0: part of this which is that just because we're using components which have the ability to be reusable It doesn't mean that um, they necessarily are. And so we call these things structural components, because again, if you could imagine taking all those components and just inlining them and putting them at the route level template, and that's all you're doing. You're just doing that to make it easier to work with. Um, So in the same um, spirit of that, if you are creating a structural component by taking part of that out and pulling it into a component, why not bring along the action with it? Right? Because, we're really just saying that this is to make it easier to work with. And so if you're going to separate this by both by area and the template, which is probably logically related, let's bring along like the modal that show up. So it shows up when you click the button or the form that gets submitted and the actions that do that stuff. And with dependency injection, now, you know, the route returns the model and that gets injected, it gets set on the controller. But if you want to draw a box, you can just say, oh yeah, we need the, the user as well. Um, and so we're just going to inject the store and get it or something like that, and then you can um, not worry about uh, passing things down all the time, and right. it makes it a lot easier to
1: work with. Yeah. So I think you know. I think another way to like frame this argument is is if you're building a new component, like you would obviously bring the template along with that new component, you would bring like the styles along with that new component. So why not bring the actions along? Right. Why not bring the data along? Right. And one of the arguments, you know, what Frank was
0: talking about, what we've seen plenty of other folks talk about too, is like, who is the data owner? So the argument here is like the route is defining what data is being fetched and what is being set on the controller and and presented. So it owns the data. And so now you have components that are children that are mutating that data out kind of from underneath its feet. And, um, that leads to confusing, potentially confusing code. So, what we found is that this the is that the way we think about this is, um, while the route is specifying what data needs needs to be fetched in order to render the template, it's really more like sending a message to the store. And because we use Ember Data, and that data gets fetched from the server and loaded into the store. The store lives outside of the UI hierarchy. It's kind of over here. And then you have like your active view hierarchy over here. But the store is over here. And as the user moves through the app, populates data into that store, that data doesn't go anywhere unless you unload it. But basically it's separate. It lives separately. It's an identity map. It's a single source of truth. It's in a service. So it's just detached from the UI layer. And that's really the owner of the store. I mean, if you tell me the route is the owner of the store, I'm just going to look up the store in the container. If you tell me the route is the owner of the data, I'm just going to look up the store in the container and mutate it and there you go. The route's not the owner of the data, right? So um, that's kind of how we think about it. The route really describes what should be loaded in the store, and the presentation layer is deciding what subset of the store should be rendered right now. And from that perspective, a component has just as much right to um, reach into the store and get what it needs to display, and then also send mutation requests back to it. You can think of mutations and the actions that usually change the data in the store as just being messages you're sending to the store. So, um, that's kind of how we've thought about it for a couple of years now. And it's, we think it's worked out really well, but I do think there needs to be a, there needs to be a clear community wide. One of Frank's points, which was really good is like, um, he's like, so when do you move an action from like a controller route into like a component? And I was kind of like, well, whenever it makes sense, like if I'm pulling out a component and I'm pulling along the form for the user, editing the user into that component, I'll probably pull along the actions as well. And he was like, Well, when it makes
1: sense is too general. It's too broad. <laughs> I, I have I have a nice heuristic here that I like to use. And that's I, I like to think about if this thing were to change, how many files do I have to change to make that to make that pull request? And so if my action lives in the route and i'm like four components deep i've got to change that that fourth component that where the where the event is coming from where the button click is happening mm-hmm. and i got to change each component that that action is passing through mm-hmm. and then i have to change the the action in the route right so i look at that and it's like okay well i just had to change you know four or five files to get right. this change in where where if the action lives on the component well i i change the component right and that's it right so I, I look at these things as they're basically like a unit right and that unit gets changed together and this isn't there sometimes like your your logic changes your business rules change where you do have to separate these things right so it's you can't know for sure but a nice a nice heuristic is you know if i had to change this where i should have everything that would need to change kind of living together
0: right that's great that's really great um then the the, the um Devil's advocate here says, well, you wouldn't have to change all four fires of files if you used route action. And of course, this is actually what spurred this whole conversation because there's an RFC to add the route action add-on to Ember. Now the route action add-on is a dockyard add-on that they themselves have come back to and updated the README to say this is probably not a good idea. So that's kind of interesting in and of itself. It already points to some sort of fragmentation in the community around what the appropriate architecture is and definitely points to the need for
1: some resolution one way or the other um but um Uh, yeah my argument against route action is i could just have a service called like my action service and i could inject that route action at the end of the day is using dependency injection to injects a route everywhere so this this action this helper can have access to it right and the question
0: still is why you would still be changing the action on the route for like saving the user and then the user form way down in the hierarchy and yeah. The question is why not have the save user action if it doesn't need to be shared? If that's the only place it's being used on the component, yeah. so
1: you know that's interesting. It, it doesn't need to be shared. So when I when I'm thinking conceptually about components, I'm thinking about this thing. The thing that's being shared is a component. It's not. There's not just like an action that's being shared. There's a component that's being shared, and so I like the action living on the component.
0: Well, and then in this case, though, if this is a structural component, it's not being shared at all.
1: Right, because yes, it's yes, just yes, it's yes, just yes. it's not so being shared. So you're you're talking strictly just structure. strictly structure. Yeah, okay. you're
0: just the only reason you made this component again is you start out with a big template and you're drawing a box and saying I want to work on this you know functionality by itself. I don't want it to be I don't want to have a controller with twenty actions on it.
1: Yeah. So then what I just said doesn't matter, but but I would say the changes right. if I'm changing right. this part that's if I'm changing this part of the UI, I'm changing it in this structural component. So any any mutation should also be made in this structural component.
0: I think that's a really good heuristic and it's like one of those universal things too i mean even when we we're just doing ruby and rails and stuff and sandy metz talks about making objects that change more often depend on objects that change less often and that means exactly this that when you make changes you tend to see things grouped together um if you have those different levels of changes in different ways then you you're going to be changing lots of different files and different parts of the system that aren't related so um, that's a great heuristic so, yeah, I'll be interested to see kind of where that um, where that RFC goes. Tom had some really good thoughts to, to, that he chimed in with, talking about how the perspective of the core team, basically what is the model hook for, and it's, he said it really succinctly. He said that it's to get the minimum amount of data that's needed to meaningfully render the route. And that's that lines in with a lot of the declarative data fetching stuff we've talked about over the last year or two um so i was really happy to
1: see that that's pretty pretty validating for us because i think all of our routes end up being uh before model model after model that's pretty much it right we don't we don't use any actions on the route right right so it's just right initial render
0: yeah fetching yep, yep. so yeah why don't we talk about um we're thinking about doing some trainings again this year at Emmercon. why when we talk about them
1: yeah so we've done we've done two trainings the last two years so four total right going into this year i feel like we know exactly what to expect exactly what to do (laughs) because
0: that's always how it happens we always
1: plan it out so that we work on
0: it half an hour a day that you know two months leading up to it and then the day of the training it's just like smooth sailing we practice it like a million times you
1: know or we
0: pull an all-nighter you know
1: well it's funny we do do a lot of, of of prep but the like general ideas from our training are, are generally stuff we've been working on all year. Yeah. And that we're like, oh yes, we can't wait to yes. to teach this stuff. Yes. So, so we also usually have other things going on during EmberConf,
0: like maybe making videos for the keynote and stuff like that. So it's always busy. You know, it's like it's a fun <laughs> time though. No, we had really good feedback on our trainings last year. Um, the the tailwind one, we had some some folks say it was like one of their favorite trainings I've ever taken. It was really cool to hear that. So um Yeah, originally we were thinking about redoing maybe the Tailwind one because we think that's still, Tailwind is still one of our favorite technologies. It's still how we style our apps. Um, Mirage would still hold up as well. What were the first two we did the first year? We did a
1: components training. We did acceptance testing. Acceptance testing. And
0: components. Acceptance testing would be a good refresher, but there's a lot of testing material out there in Ember. So this year we're thinking about doing animations and data fetching declarative data fetching with ember data and storefront yeah so why don't we talk about the the data fetching one first
1: yeah so i, I you know i feel like every every year every 12 months like we get up on a hill that we're willing to die on right <laughs> and um definitely 2018 was was a storefront hill yeah yeah That's um, good. yeah so so we've sort of we like being able to declare a template this is, this is what this template looks like, and we're not gonna figure out how you go from one state to the next, that's Ember's job. So if if is error, show this block of code, else show this other block of code, like we don't, we never wanna think about like, how do you hide that if, how do you show that if, we just know that when like that Boolean flips, Ember's gonna take care of that, as long as we declare the HTML, then we're, we have like a guarantee from Ember that, that our template's always gonna be correct. Those two things are never going to be showing at the same time. Right. If there is an error, no, no matter how that error happens, right. if, if is error gets set to true, whether it's from a query param or this dot set, that thing updates that if statement updates.
0: This just came up in your form series as well, but it's like going back to when we used to write jQuery stuff, and you're like slide up, and then you click on it, slide down, and you're like, oh wait. What if it's already down and I click on it and it doesn't slide up? And so this is the whole you thing. You have to
1: think about what state am I in? Yes. How do I get to the next state? But but the beauty of of you know client side apps, Ember declarative rendering is like just gets a punt on all this. Right. And there's like a super clear boundary, like this is what the framework's responsible for, this is right. what I'm responsible for. Right. What are the states
0: of your application? List them out and I'll take care of
1: transitioning all of those states. Yeah. And so we feel the same way with data loading. And so it's kind of back to what you were saying that Tom was saying about the route mm-hmm. is we feel that you should be able to declare, like, I need this data to render this component. I need this data to render this route. Mm-hmm. And you should be able to delegate that data fetching to, to the system. Right. You shouldn't have to say, like, oh, if I've, like, half loaded this thing, load the other half. If I've um, loaded, like, some of these like just wait till you load the rest of them. Like that's too much, too Ideally, much knowledge. you shouldn't even
0: have to say, if it's been a while, refresh this. You should be able to declare that somehow. You shouldn't have to co- account for that state. It should the, all
1: be contained in the declaration of what the query is that's needed. Right, right, yes. So if I'm looking at a blog post, I can say like, okay, you don't need to refetch this unless it's been more than a week. Right. Um, and And if it's like a really old blog post, you don't need to ever refresh it because old blog posts never change. Right. Um, so, yes. So, yeah. So, it's interesting
0: because there's like some smells. Like, do you use reload true ever? Yes. Like, that should, if you think through the, the logical conclusion of this, that API should be removed from Ember data.
1: Because you're you're telling the system what to do, not what
0: you need. Right. And, of course, like we use reload true. Yeah, we have I mean, of course. Sure. But the, the, there is a logical conclusion here where the um, expressiveness The semantics are rich enough that you can truly declare everything and the tooling can take care of, Oh, you need this query. Um, you know, post include comments to display this page. I know if you've loaded it, I know if I need to refresh it, I know what you have in the cache and what you don't, I can be intelligent about all that stuff and the programmers don't have to.
1: I'm this morning I was working on like the the description and marketing materials for this training. And so one of the items there is like, have you ever thrown your hands up in the air and just not know what to do and then add reload true? <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah. But Have you ever
0: forced, or like, even words like location dot, re- dot reload, or window yeah. dot reload or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, we've all been there.
1: But there's, there's other symptoms of this that, that we've noticed is like your templates load data and then flash with new data, like after you render the template. So you render a template, then some data fetches, and then new data pops in. Or, like, this happens This happens all the time, like, especially before I had Storefront. I would, like, get to a component that was just, like, way deep in the tree. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't actually know what data is loaded. Right. Like, I don't, I think, like, I, I know if you, like, came through this route. Right. And you came through the home page and then you came through this page and you did this, the data should be there. But, like, I don't know what happens if, like, you just click reload or, like, you're on some <laughs> other page and you, somehow hit the back, hit the back button. button yeah, and yeah. Up well, here.
0: well we ran into this on one of our client apps which is why we added assert must preload as a component because i was we just had components that were deep down and we we're like i don't know how this thing can be rendered it's it's reused in multiple places so it's a reusable component which is part of the problem because originally it was made through a very specific path and now it's not how can i just make give me some feedback that um this thing is only going to render once a user and all their posts are loaded and otherwise at least give
1: me some feedback. Yeah. So, so. There's, there's like two great things here. It's like one declaring like when I'm in this component, I don't really care how I got here. Right. This is the data I need. Much like when I'm writing an if statement, I don't really care how is error got set to true. I don't care if it was a query param. I don't care if it was a set. Just make this template show. Right. And so there's that. And then also having these tools like assert must preload. So for you as a programmer can get these like guarantees. It's basically strategies for declaring that, that the right data is loaded. right Yep. and so this this is something that we've been i mean this has been like so much of our conversations over the last year yes um, it's but, exciting yeah it's
0: like this stuff really is exciting because also like um we talk about storefront because it's just our add-on place to experiment with things but um all the stuff is in the spirit of what ember data already does it's just like the rationalized conclusion of it like Stored up find all is great, and then you want to start including things, and that's where you can get in a situation where I called find all, but then I called find all with include over here, and so I actually would want to block if that's never been called with include, yep. but even though it's called without it, and so now we have two new states in our app. So that's the kind of thing that's like, oh, really? If you think about it, now that and again, this is not to not knock on Ember Data. It's just that now we understand this stuff so much better, having used JSON API and having the client be a querier that's actually issuing queries to the backend. Now you want to be able to say, have I issued that query? Um, you know, and we this this is like back in the day, at TED we were doing like has fully that loaded. Has fully loaded. Like, My favorite model yeah, attribute. Yeah. Exactly. So so from the training perspective, you know, it's not about um, everyone should use storefront. It's more like to be aware, make sure your thinking is correct on this stuff, and then when you do come into this, like there's ways to solve it without storefront. Storefronts are best way to just share our solutions, and ultimately, eventually,
1: we would hope that some of those ideas can make their way back into Ember Data. Yep. Yeah, and and like you said, like is is, we're not knocking on Ember Data. Ember Data has has to be flexible. It's
0: getting us to the 80th floor. but It's going a little
1: bit further. Well, it it just has to be like super flexible. It has to do all these different use cases and then it tries to help you out where if you do like each model dot relationship and that thing isn't loaded right. it's going to go figure out how to load that right it's trying to be helpful and it's one of those things when it works it's it's amazing right but there's all these it's, it, as your app grows and gets complex and you have more states and more transitions from state a to state c to it it just it creates a lot more um yeah surface area for these types of bugs really really shows up right so right and um, real quickly, we can just chat about
0: um, animations. It's something we've been itching to dive into, both for some Ember Map series, get some animations on our site, and now um, being able to teach it at EmberConf is going to be great, because all those things are just going to you know, really um, push us to get all of the ideas we have around this kind of buttoned up. So you know, Ember, uh, Ed Faulkner announced Ember Animated this year at EmberConf in March of 2018. And um, he's been doing a lot of work on that. And if you go to the site, it's like this is still in progress. But if you talk to him, he's like it's all there; it just needs to be exposed and surfaced and documented and, and demoed and stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that we can, you know, use the training and this stuff to help with that side of it. And um, yeah, it'll be really interesting. We'll talk about Liquid Fire. It's a similar story, right? Where Liquid Fire provided some high level stuff, but then you once you realize oh, instead of like post.comments triggering an AJAX request, what we really need is like a query-aware um, fetching thing. And it's the same idea where like Liquid Fire was able to do some of the things, but then the things that wasn't, it was like, oh, it's a- actually because we're just a one level too high, so we need a primitive one level lower. And that's what like the animated each is, animated bind and animate each that come with Ember animated. Um, and so we're going to talk about animated each, and we're going to show kind of um, everything you can do with it, we can talk about declarative animations. A lot of the same lessons from declarative rendering and declarative data fetching
1: are there. I um, mean, that's that's huge. Because yes. again, not describing how to animate from A to B, just saying that when this thing changes, animations happen. Actually,
0: well, you but well you do describe the animation from A to B. You just do it separately. It's like that's actually what you care about now, right? When oh, an animation, oh, 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 you oh. actually are saying like when I go from A to B. This is what I want to do or really a more general way to say it is anytime I'm coming to be, here's what the rule is. And no matter I'm coming from a or C or D, here's what we do. And that's, you can do that with Ember animated. So like the momentum keeps up because think about all those states if you actually had to do it. So you can define some constraints and some rules for the, it's almost like keyframe. It's almost like keyframing. If you've ever done that in like a video editor tool or an animation tool on a computer where
1: I'm thinking of like Keynote
0: yeah you, yeah exactly, like magic move style, like magic move, you say here, here, and then you define some rules for like tweening and acceleration, and that way the tooling can take care of that stuff. but you can imagine the two slides that are next to each other are the
1: declaration of the two states right, right, so if i'm if I'm moving text across the screen, I'm never describing how to move that text. I'm just saying it should start here and end up here. Well,
0: you're saying the text is here on the home page and here on the next route, and then you're defining an animation that says. So the reason I know this is because in D3, you kind of do something similar where you say um, the way you would do it is like you define the end state. So let's say on Ember Maps homepage, you have a bookshelf and we have like eight videos and then you click on it and you want to animate up. So the two templates are actually defining your beginning and end state. So that's what you're talking about, where it's like if you had a state machine of all the states in the app, that would be that. Yes, but then you want to animate it. So you have to add a rule that says when I'm going to this, I want to take 500 milliseconds. So I'm going to have this thing identified by some key, my poster of my video, and it's going to go from wherever it's going to go from. It's going to end up here. How do you get there? You take 500 milliseconds. You use an easing. You have the starting position and then you get to define the animation, which is saying the starting position, take 500 milliseconds move in this easing curve function or use this physics spring motion and so you actually are defining the state transition but, but you're doing it in a way these that two is, things are separate yeah exactly i see yes and you can do it in a general enough way that um it works no matter what and this is like the demo he showed where like so you have on the home page right here it's locked in you know exactly where it is you click on it and it goes to here but what if you go here and then you're halfway and you hit the back button again you want it to go back you're not going to define that state anywhere It's just that's the starting state for the animation that you get in that function and you know, the end state based on the template. So you're always kind of interpolating between those two things. Nice. Super cool. Um, and just that he built that and it's aware and like talking about, you know, CSS animations, you can do a lot of stuff with that, but Ember's not aware of that. So if Ember's involved with asynchronous things like transitioning on a route, your CSS animations, it's not going to know that it's not going to respect that. Right. So, that's another big benefit of using something like ember animated but we want to make it really practical and make it really clear how you know you should leave this and feel like if you want to add that across route animated transition for your app
1: you should be able to do that after this training yeah I, i'm thinking for this one just it's really exercise happy yeah like like a bunch of examples of of an ember app without these animations yes. and, and thinking about okay how can we do this when, when does like when would you use this animation over that animation yep so yeah cool yeah very excited for this yeah me too
0: all right well um you know it's uh december 12th and i'm gonna be in florida next week i'm not gonna be walking around 30 degree 25 degree new york city um and then i will be in minnesota the following week walking around in negative 13 degree minnesota
1: so So you're gonna you're gonna make up for it yeah exactly
0: the average temperature will be about 30 (laughs) degrees over my christmas break but um this might be maybe we'll do a, i guess if we did another podcast we do it on monday next week but we'll see this might be the last one for uh, 2018 so um if we don't see you next week uh merry christmas happy holidays happy hanukkah hope you all have um good end of your year and yeah we'll see you in 2019 nice all right see ya. see you